Hello, this is Elisa Giudici for the ones who are just joining us uh, right now. And I'm really excited to introduce my next guest uh, expert, uh, Matthew Black. Uh, hi, Matt. Hi. <laughs> Matt is the CEO of Haystage Ventures Limited, and he invests and advises hypergrowth businesses. He's a serial entrepreneur, author, international public speakers. You have it all. <laughs> Matthew, welcome. <laughs> well, one thing just leads to another. Do you know what I mean? Uh, you know, I, I, I've always had a, a commitment to working with early stage businesses. I've always had a commitment to working with uh, businesses that, that created meaningful value. And I always wanted to share that, that, that philosophy as I build businesses myself. And so naturally comes out that you kind of, you talk at universities, you do public events, because just, you know, I, I can talk for, for England. Uh, but, uh, but yeah, it's just it's just something that comes out. So uh, don't overstate it. I have spoken to some pretty impressive events before, but it's only it's only to try and get that little message out there. You know, there's no there's no other agenda. And I really appreciate the opportunity today to share a bit more about some of my philosophies around impact investing and, and, and how I've grown my business and, and other businesses. Well, Matt, you are more than welcome to, <laughs> to be here today. So I would like to start uh, with you. I would like to start to know uh, what's, what was the things that, that sparks you and say, okay, this is the reason why I want to uh, help other businesses. I want to work with uh, impact investing uh, businesses and companies. Where, where did you start? <laughs> so... Um... Like like many entrepreneurs, I started with some very good reasons. Uh, my first reason was needed to make money. So that's my first <laughs> business that I started. So I started with a career business in Australia when I was 17 years old and I sold it. Um, I made about, about 3.5 million of today's money back then when I was 19 years old. And I went into work with a number of other businesses. But it kind of came out uh, as I first started to do it that it was very much orientated around delivering really incredible value. That was always something that I had as a common theme in the businesses that I work with. But then, uh, like in the 80s, I, I went to Silicon Valley after the collapse of, you know, because not every entrepreneurial journey is successful. I, I lost uh, uh, about uh, just over a quarter of a billion dollar company uh, when I was 30. And um, and that was pretty spectacular. So that that taught me a few lessons, I can tell you. But I was in Silicon Valley working with a lot of tech companies at the time, and and that the, the the bubble was in full swing at that point, and and I saw a lot of the mistakes that I'd made in the the bubble and the attitude and the approach of a lot of these get not get rich quick, but these kind of overinflated, under undervalued, you know, with, without very much value delivery companies that are in the marketplace. And I was talking to a lot of investors at the time. A lot of company CEOs at the time about this is unsustainable and this is this is why you're not creating something tangible. And the bubble burst. And at the time, because I was the person talking that way, I got vaulted to the top of the ladder as far as consultancy goes. And I, I did very, very well out of that, working with some of the biggest and best companies in Silicon Valley at the time. I went on to retire for a little while, but then I wrote my first book about 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 trying to help early stage businesses to get on the right track to really look for creating something incredibly tangible. And it was during that same time that I started to look a bit further as far as, you know, what what impact I had created 
by my book, I helped inspire like a million odd businesses getting started. So I started thinking more about impact and more about I've become in the last 10, 15 years much more environmentally focused as an individual and started to decide how can my actions, how can my investments, how can what I say and do in the world make a more positive impact globally? So I decided to only support and use my talents and skills to support businesses that made a positive impact on the world. And to that end, I am where I am today, doing what I do today. And I think that it's been, for me, a slight evolution. But I think like, like most people, it's, there's just been this, this rising tide of awareness in the last 10, 15, 20 years that's come up. Some people uh, feel a bit helpless into the face of all the challenges that we have. But, you know, I'm an entrepreneur, born and bred, and uh, my latest company is Company 12. Uh, not, not this one, by the way. This is Company 11. I have another one as well, which is an investment bank and retail bank. Um, but the, the, all the businesses I'm doing now, I have to have a really strong focus um, on, on doing something amazing and, and not just doing something amazing in themselves, but enabling others to do things amazing. I'm, I'm not one to sit back and wait for somebody else to fix a problem. As an entrepreneur, I, attack, I love the opportunity of attacking a problem. So that's kind of what put me together and, and where I am today. And so, uh, well, it was a, a, an amazing journey from uh, uh, from there to where I am now. And, uh, a bit and painful at times, I'll be honest. <laughs> Well, I think every entrepreneur has this kind of story <laughs> of ups and downs and amazing stuff and not so amazing stuff as well. Yeah. I, it, it's part of the of the job description, if you want, <laughs> as an entrepreneur. But um, what I really um, love is that you you embrace it and uh, uh, and not just to uh, be an entrepreneur you really embrace um, as you said to the uh, well the philosophy philosophy to uh, do something amazing not just because it's amazing but to enable other people to to do something amazing as well uh, and so how do you do it <laughs> Uh, yeah, good. that's a good question. That's a really good question. Um, what, what can I say? I, 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 the last kind of, you were talking about public speaking before, the last big public talk I did was in Imperial College of London. And this was to, uh, PhDs that were, they finished their PhD and they were, they were, they were going on to, to bigger and better things. And I was talking about the kind of, uh, the model because I, 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 at the heart of what I do, I suppose I do lots and lots of things like classic entrepreneur. I do a million different things. But if I had to really nail down exactly what I'm really good at and what probably what people have paid me the most for has made me the most money is business model innovation. And at the heart of that is this this concept of uh, value. Now, so um, and for other people are thinking like, oh, where does this relate to impact? Well, if you measure value only as financial benefit, then that's not impact. If you start to include other types of value creation as part of your business model and part of your process, if you include building relationships, uh, making, you know, just a much, much wider conversation about value, you'd immediately start getting in the realms of impact. It immediately starts to spread into that area because I think generally human beings are, if they get in the right framework of discussion 
and they get out of a, um, you know, as we look at Maslow's hierarchy of needs, the whole thing about when you're at the bottom, you're in desperation mode. And, and a lot of people start businesses. My first business model, my first business was started in that space, in that, in that mindset of, oh my God, I don't know how to eat. So therefore I have to do something. So that was what inspired the first business. But my, my later businesses are inspired by me being the top or close to the top of Maslow's hierarchy of needs, which means that all my basic needs have been met. That all my kind of the, the things that I need, companionship, you know, prestige, all this stuff that that we need as human beings to function at the very highest level of who we are, and be able to think uh, about not us, because we're super selfish creatures. I mean, the whole world is driven by selfish needs. <laughs> it's just the way it is. But only when we get to that stage, we can start thinking about other people, is where we can actually really embrace impact impact investing and really embrace. Uh, the design of a business and the design of a society that really is about that. I know this is getting very psychological, but it's kind of the root of what helps me help businesses and helps me design businesses. Because once you start thinking that way, you start thinking about systems, you start thinking about dependencies, partnerships, who else we can work with. And again, it's against the background of how do we measure success? It's not just monetary success. There's got to be other levels of success. Now, ESG kind of, uh, sorry, SDGs, the, these kind of, these measurements of what the areas that we want to impact the world can be, and, 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 and value creation like ethical operations and, and environmental impact and all these different types of measures we can apply of value creation can be in the right model. And this is why I love talking about models. They can be turned from something that we have as an extra thing. Also, we, we make cars, but we also, you know, reduce carbon a little bit. No, let's look at what Volvo have done. They, they, they're having a completely 100% recycled from as much recycled materials as we can to recycling all the materials, like a complete look from the bottom up at the way that we, that we, we drive our business model, the way we source materials, everything that's business model driven. That's, that's from the bottom up not from the top down. So you see them so, they're so apparent when you look at, when you're an impact investor and you're looking at businesses and you're saying, so are they adding some kind of SDG? Are they adding some kind of ethical element? Are they like, for example, we, we sell something, but we give 5% to charity. Go away. Like in my opinion, go away. Go and find a different model because it's so disingenuous that it's just not even funny. You know, that, that amount of money you're giving away to one microscopic charity in the whole scheme of things makes no impact at all. And you're trying to tell me that that's a, that's a good thing. Well, yeah, sure. You're trying to be helpful, but you can do better. You can do so much better. You know, the businesses that I love to see are the businesses that, um, they're designed to do good things and that no matter how much profit they make, the more profitable they are and the, the bigger and the faster they grow naturally they just do more great things because it's inherent in who they are and and they're they've got the they've got the economic drive to grow their business and drive the business reinvest that money and grow the business but but the, the the for good the impact positive impact in the world is just naturally amplified through that process it's not an aside you know doing things like bolting on something good on the side if they go ipo there's just one boardroom decision away to just completely trash that and turn it all into profit. And it's just one meeting away. It's not, there's no stickiness there of that kind of stuff. So for me, that's the, 
And that's one of the really important things that drives me around impact investing and, and, and how I kind of approach it, how I look at these type of businesses, how I kind of select the type of businesses I work with and how I encourage other impact investors. And, and more importantly to me, no offense to impact investors, more importantly to me, founders, as they design their businesses, they can design them better. They can do a better job. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Well, um, I think uh, you are in a kind of unique position because uh, you have the background of an entrepreneur and you are an investor as well. You are an advisor as well. So you can really see all the angle of this ecosystem. And uh, and I think, uh, well, it, it gives you really a unique position to understand, really understand what is happening right now. And uh, uh, well, and that's why I have two questions for you <laughs> on two different angles. The first one is about your entrepreneur angle and the second one is about your investor's angle. So let's start with the entrepreneur angle. So um, we have seen uh, a great changes, uh, a great change in, especially in the last few years. So from non-profit and charity, which they are good in what they, they, they are doing. So nothing bad <laughs> about doing, uh, be a charity or a non-profit, but we have these, um, I will say new, uh, new, well, new landscape that is about making profit and making a profitable companies by doing well. So, how, what is your suggestion to the uh, entrepreneur of, um, well, create a viable uh, business, uh, a business that can be profitable and at the same time, uh, well, it's a business that can make an impact and they are focused on the impact. Uh, what is the, the things that can really, uh, they can really do to do that? It, it's a it's a tough it's a tough question. I'll be honest. I know. <laughs> because 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 every business is as unique as um you know it's as unique as the the time that they start it and the market that they start the business and the founding team. So you can have two businesses that are identical. They're in different parts of the country that are a year apart and they'll have a completely different experience, right? The access to funding will be different. The the, the customers they get that were different everything could be different even if they're using exactly the same identical businesses um, so it's really hard to relate that but I think I'll reflect back to my previous conversation around you know being intelligent about designing in inherent inherent good and uh, um, I think that I think I can probably point to a, a good example so I worked with a um, I worked with a business that that wanted to manufacture some some product, so they wanted to manufacture product, and they had oh, is that a good example? Wait, wait, wait. Um, so they wanted to manufacture product, so they wanted to they wanted to work out how they can get it to market the most efficient methodology. And this was a uh, e-scooter, right? So e-scooter, the evolving marketplace. And, and if you could put aside for a moment the kind of questions around kind of uh, batteries and the non-recyclable nature of batteries and the rarity of materials and all of the other kind of environmental impact that the e-scooters might have, which might be detrimental, the positive impact was, was you know, I, I think in, in a lot of ways outweighs that. So e-mobility, especially last mile, last mile e-mobility is, is pretty incredible. So a business model redesign that we did was they were going to go to market to manufacture their own product, take it to market, and then we're going to sell it um, potentially as a um, 
just like you would get the the I, I don't know if anybody's familiar with the Boris bikes, the kind of rental bikes where you go and you tap your card and you pick up a bike and you go around the world. And there's a lot of them in different cities around the world. And there's a lot of these types of things. And e-bikes are following the footsteps of those things. So you've got your manual bikes, for the lack of a better word, traditional bike, and then the e-bikes are starting to replace a lot of those being a much more efficient mode of transport. Somebody in a suit doesn't necessarily want to pedal really hard halfway across London. They would rather just sit on an e-bike and just get there really quickly uh, without having to pedal so much. So they arrive at their meeting a little bit less sweaty. Um, so uh, that that's kind of the, the use case. Now, I, I convinced them that that was a big mistake. Um, so changing their model, simply changing their model, I said to them, what I'd rather you do as I'd rather you spend a little bit of time work taking your model, take, taking your go-to-market, taking everything that you did, the research on how to create an e-mobility business in a, in a metropolitan area and the sales propositions to the local government and all of that, package that all up and make that your product. So now they've got the ability to sell to cities all around the world, to companies like them that want to make an impact, positive impact, on their local communities. So instead of taking on just London in the face of big competition in the area, what they're doing now is they're opening up the whole planet and enabling tens of thousands of other entrepreneurs to access funding because they've done the research, to, to, to access materials because they've got the hardware or design specifically fit for purpose. They do tenfold, a hundredfold the amount of production and they make a hundred thousandfold the impact on the world. And they make a lot more money in the process. That's a business model shift that makes an incredible difference. What are they doing any differently? Nothing. <laughs> they're not doing anything differently, essentially. They're just changing slightly how they sell and who they sell to. In fact, there's a, I could go on and on about the benefits of the fact that they're selling big lots of things in one go and all this kind of stuff. And, and, and we're also doing some other interesting stuff with them as well. But this is a business model shift that made the most incredible enabling, the most incredible impact on the world. So it's that kind of, that kind of thinking that needs to get done by businesses. They saw the opportunity. They've sold e-bikes for a long time, e-scooters and stuff like that. Now they've designed their own. They've got a manufacturer, but then they hit these kind of questions of how do we do it? How do we compete in a really tough marketplace locally? And, and, you know, we haven't got the skills or the abilities to get into these emerging countries. We haven't got the skills or contacts to get into these other areas of the world, Matt, to compete. I said, well, don't. Find people that already live there and they know the market and they want to compete, but they have all they are missing all the stuff that you've got. How to how to build the business, how to finance the business, all the spreadsheets, all the go to market and the bikes. You can deliver everything to them that they need on a platter. All they need to know is their local market and do a bunch of work. So that's a really fantastic example yeah. of business model shift that makes both massive impact and makes a lot more money. Absolutely. That, that's a great example. <laughs> wow. <laughs> and I, I mean, you, you did a great job with them as well. So <laughs> yeah, well, they, you know, they increased in value anyway, which is ha happy for me. <laughs> it's amazing. It's amazing. Wow. And, uh, well, uh, the second question is about your investor side. So, uh, as investors, how do you um, how do you choose? And uh, especially, this is a question that we get a lot. Uh, how do you measure the results? Because the, the measurement things is something that it's 
it's still not not really clear for uh, for impact investing. So, uh, what's your thought about that? So, so I I think that you need to you know the question is very again a very difficult question because the way that we measure and and you know what we're measuring obviously will vary a lot and and even the methodology of measurement will vary based on business. For me, I always start. Again, back at the grassroots, back at the model. Once you establish the, you know, go back to the immobility example, we can point directly to how many immobility um, uh, solutions that we create in the world. We can point because the small things that, that I, one of the small things that I added to that, as I said, well, we're going to enable it to be tech connected. So people will be able to pay using their, with their phone. They can also have a stand put their phone on we can track using the app the app is when they get there they put the phone on they can then take the bike and use the bike it'll give them navigation and things like that but more importantly we'll be able to uh, charge them based on how many miles they do we'll be able to do this kind of stuff so it's really interesting but that that data that's a value to the customer back to this whole thing about value that's value to the customer really incredible value to them and we send them a report on their bike, frequent bike routes and whether there's traffic in the area or, you know, we can, we can, we know what shops they're going to. We know how many miles they've done. Congratulations. You did a hundred miles this month or whatever it is. Here's a free, here's, here's some free credits or, you know, a health shake or whatever we want to do to sell, sell more stuff. But more importantly, that data gives us exactly, uh, it gives us usage. We can talk to local government about where there's a lot of traffic that even cyclists are having a lot of trouble with traffic we can advise we can sell that data for government to enhance their local environment so so how do we measure that how do we measure that impact you know that's a it's a really incredible um data collection and and use of data which i think is un, under resourced so that's in the design part of the business and then you've got things like we've got personal health and carbon savings we can calculate every time they they use a bike we can calculate a carbon saving against an alternative version of transport so a, a tube train or, or, or a taxi or something of the same nature. Uh, because actually frequently these small trips, these short trips, are they take they take cabs instead of taking a, a, a tube because it's only just, you know, 10 blocks. It, it's it's some areas are very difficult for public transport to get access to. And, and people of a certain age, like myself maybe, don't necessarily want to get on a packed bus, to be fair. <laughs> as environmental as I am, I'd rather walk than go on a... So, you know, at my age, I don't necessarily want to get on a, a busy London bus. So so what we've done there is we've added the ability to, we've designed into the value proposition, a strong value proposition for the client and also a, a, a value proposition to other stakeholders like local government, uh, to uh, large corporations that might want to subsidise this kind of e-mobility travel and they want to know how many carbon credits they've saved by giving their employees the ability to use these bikes on their corporate account, or they see the impact that, for example, how many calories burned or how many miles covered, calories expended by their staff using this e-mobility solution that they that we've provided them. So thinking a little bit more about value has created the ability for us to measure. But I think that one of the things I wanted to kind of segue, kind of sideline the conversation a little bit away from the idea of measuring is and the idea of um, the modeling of it. So in a slightly wider context on impact investment, we've got to use it, we've got to look at how, how our companies access funding and how they use funding 
and the longevity of companies. This is something I have particular, particular um, interest in. So not only just designing the models to be effective and, and work, but how do we fuel businesses correctly with the right investment at the right time? It's always concerned me, you know, and, and I'll, I'll, I'll caveat this saying, I was um, 35 years, I've been 35 years in business and five years in, in, in five or six years in investment. And one year as a venture capitalist. And in that one year, I almost weekly, I say to people, Jesus, I wish I would have, sorry to swear, I wish I would have started being a venture capitalist. I wish I would have been an investment banker 20 years ago. The world would look like, I believe the world would be a different place if I would have started a lot earlier. Because we're doing, so, you know, the, the way that the, 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 the investment banking and the impact investment and the and even just angel and VC investment is done I think there's some fundamental issues there. And for me, one of the biggest problems is the fact that an early stage business can't get access, truly get access to the amount of money it needs because two things, one, investors are scared that they're, they're going to collapse. So they underfund them. And we know from Silicon Valley research that underfunded businesses never hit their potential anyway and have a far higher failure rate anyway. So it's almost like reverse thinking will underfund you. So therefore almost guaranteed to fail anyway. Uh, so this is a problem in early stage investment like angels and super angels and pre-seed and seed rounds, whereas that, that gets solved once they get to VC level, they tend to fund them very well. But the early stages, they tend to underfund because of the risk factor. And the second sure. thing is that because of the landscape and investors, the founders themselves are really unwilling to give too much equity away because, you know, if my business is valued at a million pounds, but I really need 500,000 pounds to grow my business properly. I won't, do you know, I, I won't get that money because yeah. that's 50% of my company. And we're like, where do we go from there? And, and, and we've tried to solve it with things like safes and, and, and other different types of investment instruments. But, and, and that partly solves the problem. But let's look at a slightly bigger context. 50 years ago, 100 years ago, people didn't build companies on venture capital. You know, they, yeah. they, the bulk of businesses were created, the bulk of businesses in the world were created by, we're going to start a business, we're going to find some money, we're going to loan money from the bank. Banks pretty much don't give money like that anymore. It just it doesn't exist like that anymore. These early stage businesses just don't get the support anymore. And now we're talking about, in those days, people would end up with a wholly owned company or a very minor investor. So they'd own the company. This was this was things that lasted, and we see them now. Uh, John Lewis is is suffered their first uh, 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 losses in COVID in in their like what is it fifty year history or eighty year history or something of being a company, hundred year history of being a company. This is the kind of companies I'd like to build, companies that go like forever, that own themselves, that own the majority of their own assets, that that they have the ability to leverage that to really keep going and, and go really well. So I've put together fairly recently a more a more ethical approach to investing that is around the idea that as investors, we can invest into a company, a founder can leverage much higher into the business. So they can take that 500,000 pounds against a million pound valuation. But if they accomplish all the milestones that they, they need to do, if they make the investor a, let's, let's call it a 4x return, let's turn that into, into 2 million pounds within the next few years, that an ethical investment option would be to just give it back to them or give most of it back to them yeah yeah 
just give, give it back to them and let them then grow further. I've made my money and I'm more likely to make my money because I've looked after a startup nurture. I take that two million, I put into four more businesses and I turn it into eight million. I'd rather oh, do yeah. that. I'd rather do that every two years than spread two million across 10 businesses, half of them fail, the other ones barely survive, and one of them makes me eight or 10 million. And then they exit and then they get bought out by someone and then they don't exist anymore. What kind of ethical investment strategy is that? That's normal. That's normal investment strategy. That's the way it looks in the world right now. So there's some real interesting thinking from investors in this, in the idea of how do we actually put money, put our, our assets to good use? How do we still get a return and be able to do a great job? So this is all on top of the idea of designing and investing in good businesses that have got good inherent good designed into them. So that's the first thing. But beyond that, how do we then have those companies be spectacularly successful? So how can we overfund them? How can we really support them in the right ways? So this is the kind of conversation that I'm, I'm having with my partners at the moment. And uh, this is the conversation that I'm having with my cohort, my, my, my portfolio of companies that I have at the moment, which has grown because of the design work we do, has grown 67% above the UK national average. So this design work, this, this kind of inherent good, good, the inherent smart thinking in business model design with a, with a bunch of growth hacking and stuff on top of it means they really do well because stakeholders see the company and they see the, the depth of the company. This is not just something simple like open up a bank account, we give 5% or we plant some trees and yeah, great. Thank you very much. And I've seen. So many of those come across my desk. Oh, here's a new challenger bank. Every time you spend money, we plant a tree in Africa. Yeah. So they, they literally, if you look at the financials, I think they spend 10,000 pounds per 100 million pounds of revenue. Like, great. Well done. Pat on the back for you, you know, two young 25-year-old ex-investment bankers who want to make a billion dollars before they're 30. Do you know what I mean? It's so disingenuous. It kills me when people go this way. So I, I would love to do, I would love investors out there to do a lot more investing in that shape and measure, measurement becomes almost incidental because we can see the longevity. Instead of measuring over short term, let's, let's, let's work on decades. Let's work on terabytes of, of data being distributed that's a, of high quality to make better decisions in the world because that's the kind of stuff that really impresses me. Yeah. Well. Uh, yeah. Absolutely. Well. You. Well. You gave us so many information. So. <laughs> no, I'm, pretty, I'm, pretty, I'm pretty. passionate. I love it. Sure. I love it. Yes. Yes. And that. That's the things that I love about you because I. I can really feel the passion about, uh, what you do and about impact investing, uh, especially as well. But uh, and and I. It's amazing. Uh, and I'm well. I agree with you that. Um, there is a lot of companies that just because they are making, uh, doing maybe some charities or things like that, they say, oh, we are impact. Okay. That, that, that's not the case. That, that's not the kind of companies that we are talking about. And, uh, well, I, I recently read an article about that and, uh, um, these um, journalists really suggest uh, that uh, if you do not, if a company do not have in their uh, core value uh, the, um, well, 
the kind of impact that they want to do, they are not, uh, they, they cannot be considered uh, impact investing business. So what do you think about that? Well, I, I, I think I, I'll, I'll just rehab what I, what I said before. I mean, there's a difference between having something as a value and having something incorporated into your model. There's a big difference there. So you've got, let, let's call, uh, let, let's call, um, you know, uh, Unilever. Big, global, massive, humongous company. They can have the values that say they want to, you know, reduce, reuse. They might, uh, they might take steps to do that. They might spend a lot of money. They might be getting out of old buildings that are not economically, not environmentally friendly and just building and designing new environmentally friendly buildings at a great cost to themselves. But in the, on the balance sheet, actually, it looks better anyway. So there's this kind of, there's kind of, there's this values things going on and they've got this, you know, it's not a tick box. It really isn't. I mean, they are creating huge amounts of carbon savings. They are better looking after the workforce. Maybe they have a minimum payment, like, especially in the rag trade, in the, in the, in the, uh, in the fashion industry, having a commitment to values about not using sweat workers and paying appropriate and all that kind of stuff does not mean even though it's like it's appropriate wages does not mean they're still not paying someone one pound fifty a day versus you know eighteen pounds an hour, oh, which yeah, is one yes, wage. Yes, yes. And, and and because it's appropriate to that location in the world, it's still it just doesn't work for their business model to be too much involved with their values. They still have this they still have this balance between commercialization. And where their values extend to, did you know what I mean? So there's a little mm. bit of flexibility there. Yeah. Now that is the kind of ethical and impactful company that I'm not sure I'm quite as engaged with. Do you know what I mean? Because mm. there's this ethical, ethical flexibility is what I'm kind of trying to call it. You can have a for good business that yeah. has those types of things at their heart. Now, for example, the, I keep using it's, the same it's example. It's not the, an easy balance. Yeah, yeah. I, no, but they, but because they've got this ethical flexibility, because it's, it's one of our values, it's part of what we are and reuse culture and recycling culture, you know, uh, you know, fair treatment culture, uh, ethical purchasing, uh, you know, validated supply chain, all this kind of stuff is, is really good stuff, but it doesn't necessarily mean it's inherent in the business. And I would look to have both. I would like to have a good value-based business and it be inherent to the business. And, and I think that my preference will always be the companies that are not just delivering value, but enabling other people to also make an impact. So a company that is focusing research on, on, um, you know, batteries, good batteries is huge. You know, I, I'm glad I mentioned batteries before as e-mobility. That's a huge area. There's a huge, they're based on scarce resources. That, that, you know, water is another incredibly scarce resource that we don't realize how scarce it is. Uh, and desalination in certain areas is a really major issue. You know, as an Australian, originally desalination is a major issue. Australia is running out of water uh, with their increasing population. Many other places in the world are. There's lots and lots yeah. of issues going on that can be addressed by good companies that are that are set up to and well supported, well funded and supported to be able to grow. Uh, uh, throughout their journey and not limited by our current thinking about our investment policies, our current thinking about short-term gain, our current thinking about spreading risk. Uh, you know, there's so many other things. Like we, one of the sidelines that we're doing is we're developing our own, um, uh, potentially it's 
shouldn't really tell you, but it's a bit secret, but an equity-backed <laughs> cryptocurrency exchange yeah. and tokenization system. So it'll enable a lot more fluidity mm. in us to be able to actually trade shares in impact companies. So we can actually have an investor trade shares in an impact company without knowing the company, seeing the company, getting involved in the company. They'll go through a vetting process. The shares will be issued and you can trade on those shares. And that'll make an impact, positive impact on a company. Now, these companies will sell their shares to the cryptocurrency exchange, but at some point they can buy the shares back at a profit. And that profit gets realized by the exchange and gets distributed to investors. So a really interesting way for you to benefit from owning shares, but the companies can always get the shares back to either go to conventional funding or to do something else with and leverage themselves further. So this is a really interesting way yeah. for companies to get access to funding in a much more non-geographic, fluid method. And this is the kind of new ways of thinking that I think we need. We need to think about a new kind of framework for how we invest and how we how we measure um, and what our portfolios are going to look like and where we can where we can access the types of okay. uh, kind of deals that we really want are we are we really after spending you know looking through ten thousand decks to discover 20 companies we want to invest in that's old thinking don't do that anymore we don't do that that's rubbish so we we, we completely do it the other way around i think the last time i spoke publicly at your event in london in was it 2019 2019 yes God, it yes. feels like fifty thousand years ago <laughs> my know. talk was about <laughs> We know that there's a certain number of uh, unicorns that were supposed to come out in 2020. I have no idea how many unicorns because the pandemic actually arose. But but we talked about, I talked about, <clears throat> can we build a system? Can we build a, a model, a, 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 um, a way to attract the right business instead of chasing the right businesses? Now, I talked about that from the perspective as an entrepreneur, an entrepreneur saying this is what's needed in the world as an investment Kind of investment vehicle, a, a VC, a company somewhere, somebody needs to do this so that people can go there and they can see the value that you're delivering to them, not just, not just money. And funnily enough, it was in, I, I told you just before I got into this talk a little bit, you know, you and I were talking, Lisa, about, you know, what I've been doing. And, and of course, I started Key Stage Ventures and that is essentially the company I wanted other people to do. But because all the lazy bums, the VCs, they can't get it out of their head to do something different. I thought, forget VCs, I'll just do it. So here I've amassed a $55 million portfolio. I've never done investment banking before. I've never done a venture capital before. And we did it with no money spent on acquiring nearly six million pounds worth of equity. And our portfolio is growing massively. And how do we do that? Well, we, we, we built this system where we add value. We select positive companies that are making positive impact in the world, which generates, you know, I'd said before, if you get the right type of things happening, they attract customers, they attract partnership, they attract oh, yes. external funding because they're doing more than just create a product that makes 50 pounds. They're doing something that creates a product that makes 50 pounds, that makes something else better happen in the world. And they're always going to win over a oh, company yeah. that just does money. So we always aim for that kind of magic balance. So that for me is the kind of future of where we should be going as, as, as family, as a family office, as a venture capital company, as in, as, as super angels, as investors, we should look for these types of methods to do it. 
And I really, I'd invite anybody who wants to reach out to me and talk to me about what we did, if they want to replicate some of the methods, some of the thinking that we've done to drive up, you know, to make six million pounds in, in eight months, uh, not spending a penny, please give me a call and I'll tell you how I did it. So it's a really interesting, it's an interesting kind of, it's for me, it's a framework of thinking that I think I would love more investors to do exactly what I did because the impact on the world is, is amazing. Yes. Oh, absolutely. I totally agree with that. And uh, I'm particularly fascinated. As you know, I am a big fan of blockchain and crypto. So I'm, I'm really fascinating about uh, what you just said about tokenization. And I'm a big fan of that. I'm a really believer of that. And uh, I'm a great believer of, uh, well, how technologies can impact uh, and make an impact uh, all over the world. What do you, what, what's your thinking about technologies and uh, uh, social impact and impact investing? Uh, yeah, so we've got, again, in the same theme of kind of enablement, we've got, um, we've got three companies which are in the world of training, in the world of like e-com and in the world of um, like uh, certification, like almost like uh, advocacy. And these are all in the world of ethical trading and ethical development. So these are uh, how to how to start an ethical business, how to how to sell ethical products or a place for people to come and buy ethical products. So they, you know, low emission, recyclable, re renewable materials, you know, you know, no child labor, no, no, you know, BPAs and violent chemicals and, you know, all these type of these types of products. So there's, there's a space for those types of business in the mall. They're the kind of business we like to, to support because they support a rising tide of hundreds or thousands or tens of thousands, hopefully, of businesses emerging. And the other one is the training academy of how to start a business is, I think, critical because a lot of people want to do great things. You know, punters in the street, people that, you know, a mum and they find a problem that they, you know, they want a particular fix for themselves. It's the classic startup story. I've got this problem. So other people might have this problem too. I talked to a few people. They love the idea. You know, would you pay for it? Yes, I'd pay 50 quid for it. Oh, amazing. It cost me five quid to make. If they're willing to pay 50 quid, I can make profit. I might have a business. Boom, boom, boom. But can they make it ethical is like a step too far for many people. Can I, why would I source material to retain, you know, uh, sustainable materials? Why would I source certain materials? Why wouldn't I just give it to a, another Chinese factory that can pump it out for five pounds? Why wouldn't I say to myself, well, I'll send it somewhere else and it'll cost me 15 pounds and I'll still sell it for 50 quid, but, I, but, I'll, but I'll probably sell more of them <laughs> because the world wants to buy like that instead of buying more cheap tapped. You know, more, you know, you know, creating other, I, I don't know what the number is, it's, but somebody, I'm sure somebody will tell me it's, it's wrong, but it's something like, a, you know, a hundred million tons of clothes waste a year. It's some astronomical mountain of clothes that get made and thrown away in a year. Mm -hmm. uh, it's just ridiculous. It's just catastrophic. So I don't know the exact number, but I know it's catastrophic. Yeah. Uh, and these are the types of, conversations even though we talk about technology i think technology should un, should be underpinned by the right thinking so ecom you know uh the cryptocurrency discussion i just had a second ago for that for us that creates fluidity 
It creates the ability for businesses to get access to funding they wouldn't normally get in jurisdictions, which is very difficult for us to set up a, the right type of trading entity. So we can now trade and invest into companies in jurisdictions which are very difficult to trade in. Yeah. And they trade out the money that they need on an as-needed basis instead of us giving someone, here go, here's half a million pounds, and it kind of disappears. <laughs> you know, We give them instead of a transactional account where we can, they can draw down what they need and when they need it, and they can we want to see the results and then grow their business. And it becomes like a bank account instead of being here's a pot of money and we have to... We have to spend six months working out if you if we should give it to you or not. Well, let's just give it to you and, and give it to you over time and, and work out what you're going to do with it. Because for me, that's what I'm interested in as an investor. It, money's only a purpose is to create value for clients and generate revenue. And if you can do that, I'll just keep giving you more money. You know, it's 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 it's. I think people have got some things around so, the wrong yeah. way. And, and so the example I'm using here is like e-com and, and online global training platforms. They're, they're both some of the fastest rising uh, sectors in technology in the world. But applied in a certain way, those businesses are incredibly enabling ethical and profitable businesses. So how do we, we get away from it? So we've got the discussion around technology itself like data lakes, data interpretation, insights. I mean, we have on our, our portfolio three companies, which are socio-tech companies, all about human interaction and how we relate to each other. <coughs> and to be honest, I know that that's, that may or might not be in people's radar as far as impact. Maybe they're thinking environmental. But for me, some of the biggest challenges humanity faces are frictional challenges, lack of communication between mm. people, different cultures, you know, understanding you know, the, the understanding within our own workforce, reducing stress, you know, generally having a, a better time of life. You know, our, our, our way of life has improved over the last 100 years dramatically. But there's still people that literally die of stress in the world. There's still people that are left behind. There's still people yeah. that there's, there's, there's plenty of space in the, in, in the workplace for racism and sexism and, and all these other things. And I think that all of those are big things, big issues that the human race needs to tackle and are part of, for me, <coughs> excuse me, for me, some of the things that are really important to me and um, and some of the businesses that we support work in that area. And, of course, they make lots of money. They have data lakes where they collect, you know, uh, community sentiment and, and interpret data and, and provide the kind of data insights that are really valuable for companies to better inform and manage their workplace and inform and manage their workforce because for many businesses the workforce is the business, is the business. that's yeah, the sure. most number one asset they've got so how can they produce more profits by being great at how they manage their people so um really interesting conversations about technology how do you apply technology and where is it to like our like our use of crypto enable the ability for distribution enable the the, the kind of that level the playing field globally for 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 for, for businesses to, for us to acquire really incredible businesses because I, I said this in a in a talk not, not not flippantly but I said it in a talk once about two years ago that you know challenges uh, that that individual face challenges that society faces um, they are everywhere in every population 
and innovation, people that can fix problems, that can create the most amazing solutions are ubiquitous. They're everywhere as well. But guess what's not everywhere? The opportunity to fund them, the opportunity for them to get support, the opportunity for them to be seen. You know, I always remember saying, somebody saying there's probably been there's probably been 100 Einsteins born in the last, you know, 500 years, but they've been born in the wrong place mm-hmm. at the wrong time. And, and, and there's probably a hundred Mandela's, there's probably be a hundred thousand, yep. uh, Marie Curie's and, and rest of it born, but they haven't got the opportunity. They can't speak for themselves. They've got a disability. They're not heard. They're not seen. They haven't been educated, whatever it is. And for me, that's a travesty. And I think there's lots of things we can do as far as enablement goes. And, and the idea of technology as an enabler, which is where I'm going with this crypto thing is, is I think a, a fantastic use of technology. And so we've got to look at technology as not uh, not an inherent into itself uh, impactful, but our application of it as a tool and the application in the right place. So that's that's my views on it. Do Do you think uh, that technology is um, well not just an enable but also an accelerator of what is happening right now in the impact investing landscape? Of course, of course it is. You know, I mean, it's like saying, I mean, it's 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 impacting and accelerating humanity. I mean, you see, you see our kind of productivity GDP per head. You see, everything is growing because we're shifting. All the first world countries are shifting to a service-based economy, into information-based economy. In fact, most would say, many would say that we are we 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 have shifted to a data economy. You know, that that's the next big shift, that we have become a data economy. And there's more and more talk of, of the uh, defence budget. For example, the, the, the you know, mass Xing, you know, like 100X yeah. or whatever it is, their security budget, because they now started to recognise that our assets, our value as a country isn't in the buildings. That's not going anywhere. Nobody's going to steal London. But I tell you what, one decent cyber attack that does a great job can wipe off a trillion dollars worth of companies in in one fell swoop. That's the danger. So these are the kind of these are the kind of reframing again mm. of what we think of how we're generating value. One of my concerns is that other countries are getting left behind in their productivity, and and I'd like to see more um, more focus on ethical and impact investment. Is how do we upgrade? certain countries how can we bring knowledge and technology into potentially even third world countries to increase the economic power of those countries but more importantly increase the value output of those countries so just just a simple example is i did some brief amount of work with a an organization that is uh, one of my advisors kent mcquana his organization now they went to thailand they were commissioned by the thai government to bring some Technology, you could call it technology, method, approach, strategic thinking, you know, human-centered uh, uh, method, you know, classic business development technology that's widely available in the Western world. It's like for any, you know, consultant or, or advisor at a decent level knows backwards. And and yet um, in Thailand, which is a quite a well-established com- country, they the government commissioned them to work with 10 SMEs to increase GDP by 10% because they were so far behind in technology and thinking and up-to-date methodology 
that they were just wasting money all over the place. Mm -hmm. They were just just not productive. They're they're this is they've got a five hundred million dollar company running their books on Excel and their sales forecasts on Excel. Like I was thinking, what is going on here? <laughs> you know what I mean? Like what is happening? They're running all their accounts and, and their sales forecasting on Excel, which kept falling over by the way, or every five minutes because they ran out of sales. It was just ridiculous. They ran out of cells, so they had to use two spreadsheets because they had they didn't have enough space in one spreadsheet. They couldn't get that they could for a few hundred pounds out of a five hundred million dollar company that for a few hundred pounds they could switch to an ERG program and they could solve all their problems. It's so it seems so ridiculous. Yeah. And they boosted <laughs> they boosted the economy by like a billion dollars by this like you know twelve week program. So that's a really that that. That I'm not suggesting you do that or anything like that, but it points to the, the, the kind of the disparity of technology, as you would call it. The engagement of technology we think is easy, accessible, right and proper. The application of things like AI, the applications of really simple things like being able to do use blockchain ledgers against certain assets and then tokenization and all these kind of things that seem to be almost in common language for the UK now and to the US now are completely foreign subjects to many other countries. And, and for me as an investor, it, it's, it's both extremely exciting in the amount of impact I can make on these economies and impact I can make on the world through something as simple as application of technology in the right way. But equally as exciting as an investor, how much money is to be made in those areas as well. So this is a really interesting conversation about technology. Is it a tool? Is it is it is it a resource Research. that we're sharing or not sharing? You know, where is the lack of? You know, you think technology is ubiquitous. It's not. Access to technologies is much more limited than you would probably think. That the knowledge of how to to implement it, the knowledge of its use and function, the design work to implement into a system, and the application of it in their local economy and how they work on a world okay. stage is not common. No, not at all. No, no, absolutely. That that that's absolutely true. There's so many things that we can do. It's it's even difficult to to think. Okay, where I start now? Because <laughs> so many, uh, well, ma many topics, many key points, and many, as you said, many companies that uh, and businesses that can make impact. So it it's not an easy choice. And uh, uh, well, I mean. Um, the fact that uh, right now with this new landscape, you can also have a return of investment. On my side, it means also that you can invest more, uh, and uh, and that that's a, a great a great first step in the direction uh, of um, well enabling a lot of more people, for example, to reach technologies and and grow yeah. as well. Yeah, uh, exactly right. I think the I think the reframing the idea of the portability of of investment the portability like how it's how it's how it's how it's shared and how it's managed cryptocurrency and tokenization has got a lot of assistance in that area the context of being able to how we invest what kind of returns we want and the methodology behind that it's another interesting conversation which drives that as yeah. well and then how we add value and how we invest into companies that create and enable impact rather than delivery impact potentially directly but enable impact on a much larger scale it's a new way of thinking against impact 
Because if I was just a classic, I mean, I've seen loads of them. I've got one of my business partners, which is my, my the investment bank that I'm with, which is called the Funding Company International, Roshni Dever. She is a impact investor. So she does impact banking. In fact, I think she might even be speaking at some point. She loves impact. She loves that whole area. And she manages a big impact fund for uh, uh, biodiesel, I think it is, in, in, in Africa, Southern Africa. So she's like a classic impact investor, all about, you know, okay, we make biodiesel instead of making diesel. We're going to make X amount of savings, uh, et cetera, et cetera. And we're going to make X amount of money. Unfortunately, I'm a bit more of a theorist, uh, a bit more of a model designer. So I kind of going a little bit further. I'd like to think globally. I do apologize if I've lost anybody in my conversation, but I like <laughs> to take on big challenges. I do the kind of stuff in front of me as well. I mean, we, like I said, we took a small portfolio and, and we made them we made them worth a lot more money in a short period of time. So I, I do practical stuff, but I, I can't help but think to drive the conversation on a, on a kind of bigger scale because I myself love the idea of being a neighbor. I love the idea of if something I can share today helps another investor or another venture capital or another family office or someone like that to say, well, maybe I'll do something a bit different or a founder that sees this to say, well, how can I think about my model a bit differently? That's that's a win for me. Absolutely. And so um, if once someone went to get in contact with you, which is the best way to, uh, well, to get to you. <laughs> so, um, so actually, I use WhatsApp quite a lot. Uh, so my number's on the screen there. It's uh, uh, plus four four for the UK, uh, 0790 999 Um And uh, my email, yeah, it's ventures. So, I mean, you can reach me either way, but, you know, I get a lot of email, a, a lot. Um, <laughs> I'm trying to work out how to hire a PA. I'm too busy to even hire a hire a personal assistant at the moment but but um hopefully i'll be able to find your email but whatsapp i'll always i'll always get a whatsapp if you if that's convenient for you to do that or give me a phone call um i don't mind a, a random phone call if i can if i can field the call i will um and I'll, I'll chat to you briefly and then maybe set up an appointment but it's um but these are interesting topics i hope to i hope you'll invite me to your kind of networking sessions which oh, are coming up yeah yeah and, yeah and people oh. can engage me there probably yeah 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 that sounds great because uh well it's not um it's not so common that uh people get directly contact like whatsapp and emails and uh but i well i know you for a few years now and i know that you are uh well a great person as well not not just Aww. a great businessman but you are always so uh well you are always so nice with me as well every time we uh we have these talks about business and about impact and uh so i think it's it's amazing and uh and it's great that you can stay for the networking as well so people can also chat with you directly and uh uh well and keep the conversation going so thank you so much matt <laughs> <laughs> and uh, and let's talk pretty soon. Uh, well, after uh, <laughs> uh, after the session. So <laughs> thank you again, Matt. Thanks. Thanks very much for having me. I appreciate it. Hey, I really hope you enjoyed this interview. If you did, go to newsletter.impactintech.org and subscribe to our updates and videos. Spread the voice of Impact in Tech. Be part of the community. Let's make an impact together every day as we build up the Impact Nation.